Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Julie Couch is an interior designer based in Nashville, Tennessee. The firm, Julie Couch Interiors, focuses on new construction, renovation, and full interior design projects. In addition, Julie founded G. Grace Gallery in 2017 in honor of her daughter, Georgia Grace. All sales from the online nonprofit gallery directly support the work of the Forrest Spence Fund. Julie has been married to her husband, Mark, for 17 years, and they have two precious children, Gus, age 10, and Marlo, age 5. The Couch family lives just south of Nashville in Brentwood, Tennessee. So thanks for being here, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. All right. Well, let's just get right in. Um, When did your medical journey begin with Gus and Georgia Grace? Oh gosh. Um, the journey to have the journey to have children, I feel like was very, 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 very long. Um, and I'm sure like lots of other parents, um, we did all the things prior to deciding to do IVF. Um, so we decided to do that in 2012. Um, it started that process a few times and it had to be discontinued because I had issues. So we finally, 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 we're able to um, have success getting pregnant with Gus and Georgia in the summer of 2012. So, um, but we'd been married for several years. And so, yeah, so we had two embryos that fertilized and it was a boy and a girl. And they said they are bees and they rank them ABCD, whatever. And they said, so we would put both of them in. And I said, oh, well, you've never said that until today. And they said, well, that's what we would do because, you know, you're 34 and I remember thinking, is that old? Gosh. <laughs> but anyway, so they don't do that anymore. They don't put two in ever like that anymore. But at the time they did, um, this is 2012. So we elected to do exactly what they said. Um, and so, yeah, so then I got pregnant with both um, Georgia and Gus. Okay. And that was summer 2012. 2012. It was actually on my husband's um, birthday, just ironically, because, you know, everything is hours and days and minutes, you know, like come in and four days come in this morning, you know, you're watching everything. So we've always joked though, because, you know, if you're ever at a a dinner party or something, there's always a mom or somebody that's like, Oh, we got pregnant with our fifth. I didn't, you know, I was on a, I was on an antibiotic and I always been like, well, I was in a shower cap and Mark was (laughs) in the other room eating a Snickers when we got pregnant with our kids. So yeah, very different experience. But at the same time, I, you know, a lot of people are very discouraged to have to do IVF, but I was so grateful that was an option. Um, I definitely had some severe depression with like all the progesterone and all that stuff you do, but you know, I didn't have like the shame or whatever a lot of, a lot of women I've talked to you have with having to go through that process. So I just felt really grateful was available. And so, okay. So the transfer is successful everything's going well, and then lead me to when things started to kind of be concerning? Um, Well, actually, it was pretty, you know, it was my first pregnancy. So obviously I had nothing to compare it to. 
Um, and at the time I had a, an OB that I really liked and, you know, I was like, do I need to be in a high risk situation or going to those doctors? And she said, no, I mean, unless we see something like you're doing great, you're healthy, you know, we'll just do a normal, a normal protocol. You'll come, you know, as scheduled for other, other moms. I mean, I was really, really, really sick, but again, not abnormal to be pregnant with twins. And obviously you have obviously more hormones and injections and all these things. So, you know, everything's kind of heightened, but by and large, I mean, I was really tired and really sick, but everything was fine. And it's so funny because I don't remember a lot of things. I remember being at work or being pregnant or whatever, but very, very vaguely, but we went to dinner for a friend's birthday on a Friday night and then, or on a Saturday night. And then Sunday we drove to have a little lunch celebration in Jackson, Tennessee, where my mom's family was going to meet. Um, and this was on like the very end of November. And we were driving back. It's a two hour drive. We were driving back and I started having like stomach pain or like cramping. I didn't really know what it was, but I hadn't felt them kick and they were about 21 weeks. And I was like, oh, maybe this is kicking because I had no, I'd never been pregnant. So I was like, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe they're kicking. And so I'll never forget this because we were sitting at a Sonic getting something to drink. It's so random, the things you remember. But, um, and I said, I think this is it. I think this is it. And, um, and Mark's like, oh, maybe it is. And then we got home that afternoon. It was maybe six o'clock. Mark out, went out to check something. We thought like the tire was low or something. So he's in the garage. I went to the restroom, went to the bathroom and I looked in the toilet and I was like, oh, that doesn't seem normal. Like, I feel like that's not supposed to be out. Like, I think something's wrong. Still having pain, called the doctor. They said, oh, you probably have a kidney infection. Go to the doctor. I was like, I've never had a kidney infection in my life. I don't think that's what it is. She's like, well, if you're worried about it, go to the ER. So we went to the ER. We waited for a while. They got us back. Once I got back, they said, oh, well, you're already one and a half centimeters dilated or something. Mm. The ultrasound tech said. So um, how many weeks are you? um, I was 21 weeks at that point. That was a Sunday night you know, it's so funny what your mind chooses to remember and chooses not to remember in these odd details. But the the tech was really, really young. The ultrasound tech was really, really young. They had to call her in. It was kind of, they were kind of scrambling and the doc, my doctor never showed up. And so I was just kind of like, I don't know what's happening. However, I did know, you know, I was like, I have believed in God and I had such strong faith that I was like, I'm not having this baby. There's no way I'm having this baby. And I don't know if that's just like protecting my heart because that would be, you know, it's so uncomfortable and so awkward and we were really nervous anyway. So I don't know if it was like, if I, if I'd known in that moment, like the finality of it, you know, could I have kept going and ultimately had Gus and I don't know. So I don't know if that's the reason I felt that way, but I ended up, they kind of didn't know what to do. They were very ill-equipped at that hospital because that's where my OB had um, privileges. So we went in an ambulance to another hospital where they have a 24-hour um, OBGYN e- ER, which is where we should have gone the whole time, but we didn't know that existed. So we went there and they basically, it was, you know, Mark and I since then have said, you know, it was almost like going back in time. They literally like had my feet propped up like way over my head. So I was like, yeah, it was just, um, basically I was like upside down. And, you know, I just kept thinking, um, I don't think like turning me upside down is going to keep this baby from being born. I mean, it was just such a bizarre scenario and they gave me tons of medicine and IV and all this stuff to try to slow down, slow down labor, stop, slow it down. But at this point, you know, they were 21 weeks old. And so that was on a Sunday night when I went to the hospital. And then finally we waited. I was on this medicine and upside down. Um, 
and basically like <laughs> chained to the bed. I couldn't move. But then Wednesday, they said, okay, we're going to, we're going to deliver, we're going to deliver Georgia. So they did a spinal that afternoon and it was actually, it turned out it was a resident and he missed. And so they had to get another lady to come in, do the spinal again. The whole thing was a disaster. So anyway, went into labor. And at that point, you know, I was just like, okay, I know she's too early, but I just want her to be alive for five minutes. Like I just want a little bit of time. Was she showing, because they're obviously monitoring Gus and Georgia, was Georgia showing some distress and Gus was not? He was already like in the birth canal. Okay. I mean, so once I went into labor, they were basically, you know, I didn't know what was going on at the time. I'm still like thinking, oh, well, maybe they're going to stop this all. But then, you know, on day like two, maybe it was kind of like, no, you know, she's in the birth canal. We're just trying to basically say baby B, which was Gus. It was so funny early on in the pregnancy, like really early. I mean, eight weeks or something. I used to have to sit at my office with my hand, like my arm, like over my head because I didn't have enough space because he was so far, like under my ribs. And I was like, how is that possible? He's tiny. Like, how is that possible? Um, And it was always like that. I slept like that. And so I think he was just in such a position. He was so, so high up, like in my ribs. And she was really, really low and dropped down. They delivered her. And my prayer at that point was, God, please just let her be alive for five minutes. Like, I just want to meet this baby. Like, please let her be alive for five minutes. And, you know, they said in, you know, as nicely as they could, kind of like she's been in major trauma for three days. She's been in the birth canal. Like, basically, you know, just like lower your expectations. I mean, they didn't say that. But um, so anyway, so we went in. And then when she was actually born, the doctor, he kind of like jumped. And we heard him say, oh, this baby this baby is, is showing life. I mean, he was so just like, because he was so not expecting her to be alive at that point. Cause she'd been in such traumatic situation, but she was, and she lived, I don't know, five or 10 minutes. We got to take her back to the room and hold her and get her dressed. And there is this soothing part of that. That's like, well, I did get to meet her and I did get to hold her, you know, my sister was there. So she did, she held her for a few minutes, Mark, obviously, and me, um, and we were the only ones there. So at that point, that was a Wednesday afternoon, um, December the 5th. And so I had asked, I said, can I just go home? Because obviously at this point, she was 21 weeks and five days. So I said, you know, at this point, even if I have a long interval, which would be a week is a very, very, very long interval for twins. Um, I was like, you know, he's still not going to be viable. Can I just go home? Like, I don't want to stay here because why, you know, Um And they said, well, there's a really, really small chance, you know, baby B, you know, there's a possibility you could carry baby B longer. And it was kind of like, well, how, what chance? And they said, "Mm, really low single digit percentage, more than a week. And so at this point, I'm like, I just want to go home. So basically they said, you can't go home. So stayed at the hospital until around Christmas and right at Christmas, maybe like the 22nd or something, I got to go home for a few days. I was home for five days, started having bleeding. I was home for bed rest or having bleeding, went back to the hospital, checked back in. Um, and Gus is showing that he's just content. Like he's, he's okay now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because obviously you're monitored 24-7 when you're in the hospital. Not like you would think. Not like you would okay. think. It's really crazy. Like, I mean, you, you know, it was the normal thing women do where they, you know, you have the band around you and they, you know, or heart rate and like they would, you know, check my blood pressure and my blood, but for infection. But I mean, 
Not really. I mean, we were kind of just, we were kind of just there, like waiting, like, don't move, don't get up, don't get out of bed. Um, and we laughed too now because at the time they let us go home and Mark was like, I don't want to go home. Like she's basically, she's too active and like, she'll be doing stuff. And I was like, you know, <laughs> this is not like me doing laundry when I should be resting. This is like for real. She was like, I don't want to go home. Like <laughs> basically I don't want to, <laughs> to keep her down. And then one day I came out cause I was supposed to take a shower no longer than five minutes. Wow. And he goes, this seemed like longer than five minutes. And I was like, well, I had to shave my legs cause it was grossing me out. And he was like, Julie, five minutes. I was like, okay, look, look, <laughs> you know, it's like, I think it was like six minutes, but you know, it was just such a bizarre time. I mean, it was just bizarre, but I had to go back after a few days. I only got to be home. I was actually home on Christmas, but then I got to go back, had to go back with Gus and then carried him until January the 14th. Um, and then he was born. So he was actually born 40 days after Georgia. Which is so amazing. It's I mean, amazing. It's, it really is such a testament to you fighting for him and him fighting to stay in there. I mean, that's just that's interesting too, because remarkable. I think once I was so sure that we weren't going to have Georgia and then we did, and then she passed away. And I think I just had this like, I was like, I just want to go home. And I remember that next morning, Thursday morning after she was born. Mark was like, what can I bring you to drink? Do you want something to eat for breakfast? And I was like, no, no, I'm done. I don't want anything. I just want to go home. Like I just, and I remember laying there and I'd hit the side, of, like he left the room for a minute and I hit the side of the bed so hard. And it's like those ugly plastic beds, you know, and I bruised my hand because I didn't want to, like, I was so angry, but it was like, I was stuck. Like I was captive. I couldn't go anywhere. I was so angry. I felt so helpless and hopeless. And he came back in and I was trying to act normal and I had this like bruised hand <laughs> and, you know, I was like, I don't want to eat. And then he said, and we knew his name was going to be Gus, but he said, just try to try to hang in there, try to eat for Gus, try to do this. And I was like, okay, here we go. And so I think I like had a protein shake or something. I don't even know. But yeah. from then on, I just kind of was just vigilantly hoping I could keep him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So 40 days later. So we're, I mean, almost seven weeks, no, mm -hmm. six weeks, almost six she weeks. Was, yeah. So she was 21 weeks and five days. And then he was 27 weeks and two days, because, you know, as you, you count everything in days when they're that little, yeah. like every day is huge, a milestone. But, you know, I think too, it's interesting. And that's what I, I love about the force Spence from being in the hospitals, because so many people said and did things not trying to be mean. I mean, just, they would just say the most ridiculous stuff. And Mark had left, left to go get lunch actually the day we had guests and he had not left in like a week, but he'd left. And I was like, please just go get some air, get, let's get something to eat. Like, and he did. And this lady came to get me to take me down to the normal, like label labor and delivery floor. And she put me in this uh, wheelchair and she said, how far are you? And I said, cause I was on the high risk floor. And I said, 27 and two. And she goes, oh, well, that's too early. And then just like put the binder of paperwork and stuff in my lap to like take mm -hmm. me downstairs. And I remember thinking, what? Like it was one of the, you know what I mean? It was just like, of course it is. Like, yeah. Um, okay. So you go into labor with Gus. He's 27 mm -hmm. in two days. Mm -hmm. um, had you been given steroids and some things to kind of, so they gave me the, for, they can give you a steroid shot at 24 weeks because that's when they just consider the babies viable. So I got one at 24 weeks. And then when I started having issues again at 26 weeks um, and came back, they gave me the second one. So they want them to be as far away as they can, far apart as they can 
but obviously want to get one in before you have them. So I had one at 26. So he was actually on the ventilator for one day, um, which was, and he was two pounds and um, seven ounces. And he was all head. Like his, (laughs) thank God. And he's brilliant. I'm like, that brain must've been in there just like, um, but yeah, he was, you know, and, and, you know, again, it's like, I do think like, and I don't know if it's because of my faith or I don't know, but I remember going up that night to see him because I got to go up at like 10 o'clock to see him to the, like the really scary NICU where there's two babies and one nurse. And I remember everybody being so scared and like acting so weird. And I was like, that's the cutest baby I've ever seen in my life. Why are they acting so weird? And it wasn't like I knew, I mean, I wasn't crazy and I thought he was healthy, but you know, they're swaddled up and they're, I mean, you know, he had a million tubes and cords and all the things, but yeah, there was just like that part of me, I guess, cause it was my baby. I was like, no, he's going to be fine. Like he's going to be fine. And thank God, because looking back, I don't know how I would have, I mean, I don't know how I would have functioned if I didn't think that. Yeah. So how long does he end up staying in the NICU? He was in the NICU, I had to ask Mark this. He was in the NICU for 97 days, but I swear he's almost 11. And that 97 days seemed longer than he has been home. And I'm not yeah. kidding. That was the longest um, into, you know, I wanted to make sure he had breast milk. So my body obviously wasn't ready to produce milk. So I had to start that night and I got one CC breast milk and I was so excited. And they were like, well, yeah. actually, that's about all he can have because it was going through his navel. They were like, actually, that's about all he can have. And I was like, okay, great. Um, but you know, you get on that, the rigorous, like I would pump for 30 to 40 minutes, wait an hour, do it again, pump for 30 to 40 minutes in this room they had in the hospital. And there was like, I mean, nothing is just a room, like this tiny little room. There was nothing to do in there. It was just like a chair and a sink. I mean, you know, but that doing that over and over and over and over and over. And then you go in and you wash your hands for five minutes and you know, all the things you do, um, yeah. Yeah, it's like Groundhog's Day. But and we had a couple scares where they thought he had an infection and you know, for two days we'd be terrified and they'd say, Oh no, he didn't really. It was a false, you know, it was a false positive. And, you know, but by and large, we did not have any surgeries. He didn't have any brain bleeds. I mean, it was really miraculous for how young he was. And he really did very, very well. He had trouble, you know, when they stop breathing, they call them spells, they'll stop breathing. He did that for it. I thought he was never going to stop doing that. And then, then finally I begged one of the nurses, if we could take home one of the machines that will beep when it tells you that they're not breathing. And she said, no, we don't do that because, you know, if we feel like a child might not breathe, um, they would still be here. They say you wait five days without them having a spell, then you can take them home. Um, and I just really insisted. I was like, I really want it. We'll pay for it. I don't care. I just need you to prescribe it so we can take it home. So we took him home on one of those machines that would be an alarm if he stopped breathing. And that did happen three times in different, at different nights in the middle of the night. Would you have to go and just kind of nudge him? You would have to, it depended. You'd have to thump their feet. It's kind of hard. I mean, they start to turn blue. It's really scary. I mean, you thump their feet. Um, yeah, just try to wake them up basically, you know? So it's like, I feel like we just couldn't quite get out of the challenge, you know, like he was, we were home, but he was still, so little, a terrible reflux. He was, you know, he didn't sleep really. So yeah, I just felt like, it just felt like this season, this never ending season of hard. Yeah. Yeah. And so really those 97 days, he was more of a feed and grow Mm -hmm. and learn to do 
suck, swallow, breathe. Yeah. I think probably the first month he was in the really high risk floor just because he was so small and he wasn't really able to eat and they had trouble getting him to gain weight and all that. But after about a month, he went to the floor where, you know, there's more babies per nurse and, you know, we could go in anytime, it's much more open. Um, yeah. And he really was just, you know, he was in a little incubator and just waiting, yeah, to breathe. And during that, I mean, how did you process the loss of Georgia while caring for Gus? You know, I don't really think I did. And that's something I've talked to moms since then that have been through something similar. I just learned recently, I took an Enneagram test and learned I was a one, which if you asked me that, I would, I would tell you that was the last thing. But um, I guess for me, like the, this, it was hard for me because I felt like the standard of, I can't complain because I could, I should not have Gus. Like he's such a miracle. I, he's such a miracle. He shouldn't be here. He's such a miracle. He shouldn't be here. And then this like deep, deep grief of this other baby. I did, it was just such a, it was such conflicting feelings. I was like, I'm the mm-hmm. luckiest mom in the world. I'm the least luckiest mom. You know, it was all of it. It was like, I couldn't, re- I couldn't resolve any of those feelings. Like I didn't even know how to do it, but I would, I mean, I remember because it was of the 97 days, it was probably 90. I would um, drive to the hospital. I remember exactly where I would park. I would crowd the whole way there. I would crowd the whole way in. I would pull it together. I'd go sit with Gus. I'd do the pumping thing. You know, it was, you know, it was just, it kind of was what it was. I do remember sitting in the car midway through his stay in the queue. And I said, God, if I, if you will just please let me be in a wheelchair and just bring Georgia back. Like I will be in a wheelchair. I will never walk again. I mean, I was trying to think of all these things. Like I will lose my sight. I will like all these bargaining things, which before I'd lost anybody like that, I didn't understand that. I was like, that makes no sense. But for some reason it makes sense for you when you're in deep grief because you have nothing else, like you have nothing to give. Like I can't control any of it. So yeah, it was really hard to resolve. And I don't think I tried to like go to work and be as normal as possible as I'd go to work for an hour and then I'd go to the NICU and then I, you know, like I never really rested. I never really slept. I never went to, you know, I didn't go to therapy at the time. I just, I just did what I always do, which is like, you just keep on keeping on and it did not serve me well. But at the time, I think I didn't know what to do. And I think even people around you that love you have no idea what you should be doing. Nobody knows what to do, you know? So yeah, so I don't think I did handle it well. And I think it, I think too, when you don't really go through it and you're really honest with yourself um, and you try to just like be happy and be grateful and, you know, move forward. I do think it's a disservice because I think it just prolongs the pain that you have from, you know, whatever event, yeah. you know, was the catalyst. Well, and I think too, you know, y'all were so focused on, getting to the next day, you know, getting him to stay in your belly one day longer, you know, to then him coming. And and so I totally get how you didn't have the time to grieve. And as you said, and I've told many people before, if you don't, if you don't grieve, you know, quote unquote, when you're supposed to grieve, you're going to grieve. It's going to catch you. Um, and it's going to catch you maybe at a time that's even harder when you think you're doing really well. And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, you know, I didn't take that time I needed to do. But at the same time, it was so much survival for y'all, you know, to make sure that he 
you know, you took his best care of yourself so you could get him to stay in this long. And then, and I don't think anybody can ever understand what a day in the life of having a child in the hospital is like until you do it. I mean, people would say, what'd you do today? And I'd be like, I've pumped a lot. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> read to him. I waited on doctors and nurses mm-hmm. to come give me any news, mm-hmm. you know, because you never knew when they were going to walk in. I feel like mm-hmm. now they're better about having specific times that they do their rounds. But oh, it was terrible. I mean, at the time, I remember because Mark and I did feel like, and he did a really good job to kind of you know, speak for me when I was there and like research on his own and find out like similar things that had happened and how it was handled and all that. And so he was a really good advocate for me. But then obviously you both are when this baby is there. And I remember they would bring a chart over and it would have like a post-it note on it with something important. And it was like, why, why is that a post-it note on that Manila felt what in the world, you know? And so we ended up at one point we were like, please give him the oldest milk first, like the most rich milk, please give him that first. And they would just put whatever in the front. They just keep giving it to him. So finally, one day we went over to the fridge and we're like rearranging it. And they're like, you cannot be in there. You cannot be in there. And we're like, look, please do what we ask. And they were like, yeah, basically you're here a lot. And we're like, we're here a lot. (laughs) And we just want to take care of our baby. Like, you know, and it's obviously you're here every day and it's not your child and not to say that they don't care, but it's not their child. Yeah, it's not. And you have to be the advocate for sure. You have to be the advocate. And um, and that's not to say anybody is careless or whatever, but it just, it's not their child. Yeah. And they're not going to look after that child like you would. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave even says that when he's meeting with residents, I've always really appreciated that he says this, when he's meeting with new, you know, doctors, residents, whatever, he'll always say, hey, for you, it's just another day in the office, but for this parents the worst day of their life you know if they're bringing a child in for surgery to you it may be the hundredth time you've done it and as parents that's what we hope we hope Mm -hmm. for the surgeon they've done it hundreds and thousands of times but just be reminded that this is a terrible day because they're handing their child to you or they're a baby or or whatever else and I think you know the nurses, especially, and even doctors, are trying to protect themselves. They can't go all in on every single child or baby because obviously we know it would be so hard. But that's where we come in and, and advocate and be the one to say, hey, he really, they would owe it with Forrest. They would always um, take his blood gas from this one part on his heel and it was so awful how bruised and bloody and all that stuff. And so if I wasn't there, I would leave notes of like, mm-hmm. please warm the foot for this amount of time. Please try this. Or, you know, because to them, the person doing the blood glass probably does 100 a day, if not more, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But for me and Forrest, it was terrible. It was traumatic. Um mm-hmm. And so I think it is important. We know our children the best. And, you know, we need these medical professionals who are so trained and obviously have done it. But they, also, you know, need to listen, I think, to parents as well. Um, well, tell us a little bit about 
G Grace Gallery. Tell us about how that came to be and about G Grace. So G Grace Gallery, obviously, as we were talking, Georgia Grace was our first baby. And when we were in the NICU, we received, and I guess you'd call it a care packet. I don't even know what it was, but you and I, Brittany and I have a very, very close mutual friends and we received this little bag and it was, I want to say it was just like some children's books and maybe like some baby socks and some change for a vending machine. I mean, it was like just little hospital type things and a little card. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is so kind. Like this is just so kind because I mean, if you've ever felt alone that you feel alone. I mean, I've never felt that alone in my life. And so I thought, well, this is a really great organization. You know, that's really sweet. And then talked to my friend that we have in common, Ashley, about it. And um, yeah, and, you know, knew, knew your story. And so fast forward, you know, I knew from, from the time we were in the hospital, I was like, I really want to do something to honor Georgia's life. I really want to do something to honor her life. What can I do? But frankly, like you said, I was so unable to even speak about it for so long that I couldn't do anything because I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't get it together to actively, um, you know, champion something um, that I still couldn't even put words on or feelings. So I knew I, I knew I, I'm an interior designer. I was in art, um, had an art degree. And I, that was kind of my love. And I knew I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to run a nonprofit. That was not my gift. And I didn't didn't know what that would look like. But, you know, it was kind of one day I thought, well, you know, I do know art. I love art history with art and design interiors, maybe I could just kind of had a a small curated art gallery and, you know, we could sell the art and then just give that money to four spends. They're doing what I would want to do and serving these families in different ways, like as it's needed. And, you know, that would be really amazing. So in 2016, I felt like I was at a place that I could kind of start to do that. Um, And we, at first, when we launched, we had about 20 artists from all over the country. Now we have eight. We've really, we kind of kept everybody that was very loved and very, had a lot of success with our gallery. And now we've moved on. We had brick and mortar after COVID. Things were obviously very difficult um, because nobody was out. <laughs> um, so we moved everything online. And so it has been amazing to get everything out there. And we've had so much feedback, so much good feedback. So everything's available on the the gallery side. The other stumbling block we had was now that everyone is on social media, all the artists are on social media, that's their livelihood. You know, there's so many avenues you can get to that artist. So it was very hard for us to stay in that conversation because even if they saw or were exposed to an artist through G Grace, that doesn't mean they purchased through us. And, you know, it was just, it was a very tough way to hold on to that. So what we elected to do is scale back to fewer artists, have them online, and then every month have a collection by these artists that we love that's um, that's going to be usually a lower price point, and it's going to be something exclusive to G. Grace. So, um, you know, if there's an artist, as an example, if there's an artist that does, um, you know, landscapes, like low country landscapes, well, for um, for our collection, it might be seascapes. You know, and and so it's going to be something that's still exactly their work, but it's going to be a take on it that would only be available through us. So to keep people engaged with the gallery and to kind of keep that ongoing um, conversation and to have a huge price point, too. I mean, we have things that are, you know, going to be one hundred dollars and things that are three thousand dollars and everything in between. But, you know, really just to stay kind of top of mind is this is a way to give to this amazing 
this work that we're doing, but also you get something really beautiful and you're supporting an artist. And it's just really, I feel like it's a really a win-win-win for everyone involved. And it's also such a positive, beautiful thing to do. And that's why I wanted to do that for Georgia, because I feel like everything about that is beauty and happiness and, you know, sharing. And I thought that would be, that would be the best way to honor her. Yeah. It's really beautiful to watch. I mean, to see your love for Georgia poured out in this uh, world that you know so well. And, you know, y'all just launched your first collection by you. I went Um, first. It was awesome. I would never do it. But you know what'll get you over that? Like all the insecurity, you go, well, I mean, every single penny is going to go to these families. So, okay. You know, that's kind of how it felt. I was like, if nobody has it, okay. Like that kind of gets you over yourself. Um, Yeah. So I went first, but um, yeah, it went great. We've had, we've had thousands of people reach out and, you know, some commissions have taken. And so it's really been awesome. And then as the months go, obviously there'll be, you know, a variety of types of things and then we'll keep everything on the site. Take everybody takes commission. So I think it's going to be a, a great um, growing kind of thing we're doing. Cause we're always learning Chelsea, Chelsea Basham um, was our nanny. And now she's helping me with the gallery a lot because the kids are both in school um, during school hours. And so she's been helping me a lot, kind of like get the website set up, help me, photograph Marlo my daughter is the spokesmodel so we have a lot of <laughs> photographs of Marlo um so yeah so it's been you know she is one of the most dear people to me I mean she's not my child but I wish she were my child and so it's been really special to have her because she knows how much it means to me and would never you know doesn't take it lightly that it's a really yeah. big deal to me and the way it looks and the way it's represented and the way um that I want us to succeed um, you know, she values that as much as I do. And that's been really amazing to have, you know, another, I don't want to say girl, cause she's 20 years old, but you know, a woman, <laughs> she feels like a girl to me, um, you know, walk through it with me because I have, you know, Georgia that would be almost 11. And then I have Marlo that's five. So it is nice to kind of have this adult daughter niece type person to help walk with you through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how, What's the best way for them to find? So the the best way. So we're on Instagram at g.gracegallery. But the website where you can actually shop is where you ultimately, we want you to land. And that is just gracegallery. Um, It's .com. And so that is going to be the shopping. It'll have a little bio of all the artists. It'll have pieces by all the artists. And then obviously every month, we're going to be able to launch new artists. So it'll have new art, but then we'll also have continuing things. People will continue to add things, our artists, but we're going to have a focus each month so we can share more information about that artist, their studio space, you know. Um, but, you know, so that's a great thought to follow along and kind of have an introduction. But honestly, even if it's not, um, I I really hate to ask for stuff, and which is probably why it took me so long to heal a bit. <laughs> But I actually reached out to two different groups of friends, a lot of designer friends I have a text thread with, and then just a lot of, you know, old friends and said, hey, guys, if you could just share this website and this page from Instagram, it would mean the world to me. Because at the end of the day, you know, everybody's not going to buy a piece of art. But, you know, if they share it and they have a friend, a relative, a whoever that lives in, you know, Milwaukee, see it and they they do that supports it. So that's been really a huge thing for us and so appreciated people just share it 
Um, and then we also like, you know, one of my friends, Liz, um, sent me a message and said, my husband and I cannot agree on art. So we're just going to make a donation in your name. And I was like, great. Um, yeah. But, you know, just get the word out. And um, that's the biggest thing people can do from us because we're going to keep having new art, keep having different kinds of art. Hopefully we'll have things that speak to lots of different people and taste. Um, and at the end of the day, all of those are going to go to support the work you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah. And y'all are making such a difference for sure. Helping us uh, assist these families who are struggling. And um, we just appreciate it so much. Uh, okay. So touch real quick to end. How is your family doing today? You've got Gus, who's going to be 11 in January. Mm-hmm. And you've got Marlo, who just turned five, right? Yes. She is wild. <laughs> wild. I mean, she is the most strong-willed human being I have ever met. And of course, everybody says that's not her mom. That's going to serve her so well. It's going to serve. Yeah. And I'm like, it is going to serve her well, but it's super hard for me. Um, she's an angel at school. She's an angel all the time. She's an angel at school. Um, church is just with me. She's tough. <laughs> but she's, I mean, she's so funny. She's into like, you know, everything beaded and unicorn and rainbow. And she wears cat ears every day. And I mean, she's She's a complete nut and so funny. Um, and then Gus is, like I said, he's the most brilliant, creative child. He's, you know, he's in robotics right now. He loves that. He's, you know, math, science, wants to, he basically told us the other day he wanted to be Tony Stark, which is Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he's like, maybe I'll go to MIT. And I was like, maybe get a scholarship somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So he's, yeah, he's incredible. Um and, you know, that's I didn't even say that to you, but, you know, they tell you all those things like this baby, if he's boy, he'll be blind. He may be deaf. He may be he has perfect vision, perfect hearing. He's I mean, he's very ADHD, but, you know, a lot of kids are. Yeah. Um, but he's yeah, he's amazing. He's so healthy and he's doing great. That's amazing. Well, thank you for spending time with us. Thank, thank you for so sharing much. your story. And thank you for everything you're doing with the G Grace Gallery. Please, um, to all of our followers, go follow them on Instagram, look at their website, see the amazing art. Um, you are so talented in all aspects. Um, so it's just fun to see your gifts that the Lord has given you um, shown and also just using those gifts to give back and help other families. So you're making a big difference and we appreciate everything you do. You're so kind to say that back at you completely. I love you. I'm happy to be doing this with y'all. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, We want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.